Have a word of prayer with me real quick. Let's start this thing off God's way. Lord Jesus, when we come into your presence, uh, Mary's so right. When we come into your presence, we want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want to pray and communicate with you. We want to pray not because there's some rule that we pray, but it's like I come home from work and I love to see my wife. I want to talk to her. I want to to tell her how the day went. She wants to tell me what's going on in her life, and I love that communication. That communication, it makes the marriage so strong and vital. Any relationship. We die without communication, Lord. And we need communication with you. And what an awesome thing you've done to give us your Holy Spirit so that we could communicate with you. God, we don't need a cell phone. We don't need reception. We've always got it. 24-7, there's no time. I wake up in the middle of the night worried about something. I can hit my knees and talk to you. I can stand like this and talk to you. We can. You've given access to your throne room, Lord. That's amazing. So we just want to thank you for what you've done, that we can communicate with you. But we also respect that you are the God who breathes things like the sun and the solar system and the universe and us into existence. So we come with a prepared heart. We come knowing your due honor. You're so wonderful. You're so loving to even live inside of us. But you do honor. So we want to give honor where it's due. Would you, holy God, Lord Jesus Christ, would you speak by your power today? It must be that. Would you speak by your power? Come, come right over us as a congregation. You speak with your power. Like Andy said in the announcements, by our love will the world know who we are. And it's not a love we conjured. Romans 5, 5, Jesus, in your word, says that the Holy Spirit deposits that love in us. The love of God is shed abroad in the hearts of men through the Holy Spirit, is how that scripture reads. You have given us a love that we didn't have before. Praise you. So just just speak to us today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, I was praying about, okay, it's Mother's Day. Uh, I want to make sure that we... We honor that. So I have an amazing mother that I adore, that I love. I have a wonderful wife who is a mother. We have seven children and and many grandchildren, five. If I screwed that up and you're watching online, I'm so, so sorry, children. And, uh, you know, super, super excited to have the family that I do and to see and feel the effects of what mothers have accomplished. I thought, what would be an amazing way to tribute mothers? I'll talk about hell. <laughs> and I think that'll really land. You know, he, <laughs> you, you sit there, you know, with a crying baby, and everybody else is enjoying the service. Or you, you're, you're changing the 15th diaper, and you just got the child here, and they do it again. You're like, and, you know, you, 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 you're at home, and you're there so long, and you're tired, and you're exhausted, and you're like, I wish I could go to work like you. You know, and then, oh, you're both working, but a call comes, and, and your husband says, well, you know, what I'm doing, I can't just leave here, and you're thinking, well, neither can I, 
but you're the mother. <laughs> Somehow that nurturing, that thing, yeah, you run first. You get there first. And it just happens. It's just this amazing motherly nurturing thing that isn't just rearing children it isn't it isn't just uh it encompasses so much you can't even put it into words what a dynamic thing a mother is over and over and over people dying on the field of battle would say they just wish they could see their mom one last time you know there's a lot of fathers going seriously <laughs> like that you know me how about me moms they go through a lot, and there's a lot of patience. And there's this amazing character of God that is in moms. And that you can't, you can't even understand unless you just experience it. That love, that depth, that, that you're embraced, that, okay, my child's doing every single thing wrong. Everyone in that entire school hates that child. And they come home, and what does mom do? I love you. I know you can do better. Oh, you're going to get it. <laughs> Don't worry. But there's nothing you can do to make me not love you. And that embrace. Now, have some moms done it wrong? Yep. Have we all failed in lots of ways? Of course. But there's this innate nature in moms. We don't even generally have to tell them to do what they're supposed to do. They'll often just fight to do it. So, so I'm going to talk about hell. It's not something that I normally start with, but I was praying, and the Holy Spirit was like, listen, if you want people to understand the amazing grace of what I've done, of, of, of how I've moved on behalf of those, like, like a mom who says, you know what, I know that you've, you've really screwed up, I know you've really hurt people, but there's no way that I won't love you. And that's how our God looks at us. There's no way that I won't love you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's no height. There's no depth. There's no famine. There's no sword. There's nothing that can, there's no sin in your life that can separate you from the love of God. I had someone come, we had a funeral yesterday, and I had someone come and say, you know, I, I thought the roof might cave in if I walked in there. I was like, well, it didn't when I walked in. You know, there's, some, there's something there's something in us that thinks we've, we're, we're the one. We're the one that figured out how to do that sin that Jesus couldn't atone for. Yes, I know that there's rapists and, and murderers and really mean, just nasty, ornery people that have been just the coldest of the cold that have made it into the kingdom. But if I walk into a church, everything's going to fall apart. It's not. You are giving yourself way too much credit. Jesus has died for every and any sin on that cross with you in mind. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. But you can't understand grace unless you understand what you are avoiding when you get it. So the message is, warning, the bridge is out. And uh, I, oh, right before I start, a little quick note, a little quick little extra intro. When my wife and I, my, my oldest birth daughter, was getting married, uh, she and her husband were big-time Star Wars fans. You know, just love Star Still are. Still are. Waiting for Ben Kenobi to come out at uh, the end of this month. Like, super, so am I, by the way. <laughs> super Star Wars fans. 
And one of my teaching friends, when I taught and taught and taught for years, one of my teaching friends was a, one of those guys that's at Hollywood Studios in Disney, and he would go around with his entourage of like super professional, if you can be, a professional Star Wars character. And they're the, I can't remember what they were called, like the 501st Legion or something, but they all are very authentic, even with, you know, Prisoner and Vector 9, Vector 9, and, the, you know, all the things that would be in the movies, they're in their suits, and the voices are there and everything, and they are authentic. And so I said, could you and some of your friends come to my daughter's wedding and, like, escort them in to the reception? And they did. And it was, like, super cool. Four legit stormtroopers with legit white handcuffs and black blasters. Like, these were sick. And they walk them in as dun, 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 dun. And that's how they walk into the reception. And there are so many children in our family, and little children and in our extended family. And so they're all just sitting there. They're just like, can't believe this. Then they stayed and they took pictures of everybody, you know, with their blasters and you're getting, you're, you're getting coughed and they're taking you in. And my friend turns to me and he goes, you know what you've done, right? I'm like, no, no, what? He said, you have ruined weddings for every small child ever in their whole life. Because they'll go to these weddings and they're going to they, when's the Star Wars guys come? You know, they're watching the whole wedding and suffering through this part. And, but I know at the reception that stormtroopers come and then it doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, every other one. So if you don't, if you haven't been a child that sat through 10 weddings that weren't that much fun and then saw stormtroopers, you don't quite get the difference. But if you saw the stormtroopers up front, it kind of ruins the other ones. Some people grow up in the church and they, they start to forget what it is that you're thankful for. There's so much. There's so much. But if you bring it down to brass tacks, the scripture is clear. There is one way into eternal life, and it is because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And everyone, everyone sins. So everyone puts themselves in a position where you can't stand in a holy God's presence. Not because he doesn't love you. It's like trying to stand on the sun. If you were going to go to the moon, you have to have a moon suit on. Or you can't breathe, and you'll burn up, by the way, on one side, and you'll freeze to death on the other. There's thermal controls on that thing because there's no atmosphere up there. You've got to have a suit to get there. You've got to be painted with a suit of the blood of Christ to get into the kingdom of heaven. How do you get it? You be good enough? You be religious enough? You follow enough rules? No, you just accept the offer. You just accept it. Just accept that he's died for your sins on the cross and say, Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner, but i got to have what you have. This world is too heavy. It's too much. I can't do it, and I need you. And when you do that, this God that loves you and can't not love you runs to you. The Savior came for you and died for you while you were yet a sinner, pursuing you now, pursuing me. Did I stop sinning because I accepted Christ? I wish. No. 
If that building fell down rule happened, it would have this wouldn't exist. We have an awesome loving God. And we need to understand what we're not running into. Sometimes we forget. I always start with scripture. I've gone too far. I'm going to read this first. This is Luke 16:19. Okay? Follow through with me. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to just eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, in hell, where he's in torment, meaning, okay, he died, but he's still there. Understand that you are built with eternal ingredients. You are built with eternal ingredients by an eternal God. So everything in you is eternal. It can't cease to exist. So for it to continue on, because it's made with God, it will continue. You will continue. But you'll continue with him forever in a place of unbelievable peace and God's presence and holiness. And people that don't even understand that, well, what does that mean, living in his holiness? How about no anxiety, no fear, no brokenness, no broken relationships, no sin anymore, none of your own and no one else's. No arguing, but unity. A love that is pervasive. Think of the best possible places and the most secure you felt and the, and the most love you felt in a position where you weren't worried that you had to defend yourself in this group of people. You felt very calm to just be yourself. That isn't even close to what heaven's like. You're made with internal, eternal ingredients. So to get into God's presence, there is a price. It's free. Salvation's free, but it's going to cost you your will. But it's going to cost you so much more if you ignore this plea. So in Hades, where the rich man who died a long time ago, by the way, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, red letter, it's Jesus. It's him speaking. And not only that, he's naming people. So don't think he's just telling you some random parable story that doesn't equate with anyone. I guarantee Lazarus is real. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and just cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. You know what that tells me? He is like, like we often are. When you're in that place where you feel like God is just removed and you just feel like I, I did all this to myself. You don't even ask for much. Just lonely and broken and sad. Could you just give me just a tip of water? That's all I deserve. Just a tip of water. Just, just ease the suffering. I would have been like, hey, is there some tram that gets me from here to there? 
Is there some kind of like gondola that I can ride? I want to be where you are on the other side of this chasm. And he's like, no, no, just give me some water. He knows he doesn't belong over there. He's aware now. He didn't know earlier. He knows now, and he knows he can't get there. But he just, his request is just, just send Lazarus with water. Do you notice something, by the way? The Scripture says that when we behold him, we become more like him. The Scripture says that Jesus, what he did for us, and when you accept him, you are going to be made like him. So Lazarus is up there looking amazing in his new holy body in heaven, and this guy's like, won't even talk to him still. He's talking to Abraham. Hey, can you send the water boy of heaven, that beggar that meant nothing? Can you send him to help me? Because he still means nothing to me. He's still got that same twisted, messed up thought process because there's no God in him. So he says, Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony? Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to there can't, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So he answered, which, by the way, is a, that's written there to tell us, one, the two destinations are eternal, and you can't cross over later on and try to figure this out after the fact. You figure it out while you're alive on this earth because you will always be. But it also tells us this. You can't cross to go get someone afterwards. You can't look down in heaven and see someone and go, you know, I'm going to come get you now. So it makes our job here more vital. It makes what we're supposed to do as Christians so much more significant. We've got to be who God called us to be. Not as a set of rules. Just a relationship with Christ because the more time we spend with him, purposeful time spent with Christ starts to make you more like him. He speaks to you. He talks to you. He communicates to you. He imparts his Holy Spirit to you. You start by just abiding in him and just spending time with him and loving him and speaking to him, having a communication with him. He can hear you. You don't have to do anything special. It's not rules. Just talk, and he hears, and he responds. And the more you do it, the more comfortable it gets, and the more you start to get comfortable in this walk with him. And then you start moving in it. That's what's vital. You don't have to come up with this 10-step plan to save all the lost. you just got to spend more time with God and let him show you what to do daily. Over and over, people are like, i got to do this, i got to do that. No, spend time with God. He'll show you what to do. He'll speak to you in your day. Over and over the scripture, it says, as Jesus went along, he came across 10 lepers. As Jesus went along, he comes across some blind men. As Jesus went along, he meets some Pharisees and they challenge him. It is always as he goes along, as he goes along, he's walking around, he's listening to the Holy Spirit, he's talking to God, and then he's talking to people. Do the same. Don't hide who you are, but don't try to push it in people's face. Just be Jesus to someone because he lives inside of you and you can. Abraham replied, oh, I'm sorry, back to the, Abraham says you can't get across, we can't get across. We'd love to help you because we're standing with God. We'd love to help. You know, love is in our heart. We want to help. We cannot help you. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. 
For I've got five brothers. Let him warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. He's like, okay, so send Lazarus, the guy you has begging at your door, who you stepped over every day. He just wanted crumbs, and you wouldn't provide him. And you stepped over him to go to work every day, and then came home and stepped over him again. He, he, you saw the dogs licking his sores. You didn't care. You want me to send him to your five brothers because you think he convinced them? Did he convince you? Also, he's here. He can't go back there and do that. Abraham replied, They've got Moses. They've got the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is Jesus talking. What he's telling you is, if you won't trust in what the word of God says, Moses and the prophets, if you won't buy into what God is saying in his word, then you're going to have a great deal of trouble just believing because you've heard Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the living word. Spend time in the word and you're spending time with Jesus. It's a supernatural book. It does supernatural things. It's a supernatural word and it changes you in supernatural ways. Spend time with Jesus so as, and you start to access what is Jesus inside of you, the Holy Spirit living there. Do that and you'll start to understand the depth of his death and burial and resurrection. But you just don't hear it and that's enough. And you don't stop there either. You hear it, that's enough. It's enough for you to understand that he died for your sins. Great, get started, but don't stop. That's like a marathon where they go, bang, and you go. And just stop. Everybody's running, running, running. You just stop. Why'd you stop there? Well, I thought I just had to cross the start line. No, you've got to cross the finish line, people. we got something to do. Keep moving with him. Keep listening for him. Keep speaking to him. Okay. Anybody in here know um, there is Richard Hornbuckle? I made that name up. <laughs> Richard Hornbuckle is one of the luckiest men alive. So take a look at this picture. His first picture. That's his car. That's 150 feet up. What you're looking at is the southbound, totally intact Skyway Bridge in St. Pete, Florida. The part you're looking at that's not there is 1,200 feet of Interstate 275 bridge that plummeted into the shark-infested waters of the bay. That boat you see is called the Summit Venture. It's a huge bulk carrier that hit the pillars that hold the bridge in 1980, May 9th. So like literally, what, 42 years ago? It was 1980. So that guy is 14 inches from the edge. 14 inches. You're like, wow, oh good, nobody died. No, 35 people died. 
because he was the eighth car. There are seven others and a Greyhound bus that did not make it. This was rush hour. It's in the morning. People are racing off to work. An unprecedented and unannounced storm comes sweeping across the bay. The guy running the ship knew the other ship's coming, and there was supposed to be another freight coming this way, and he said he couldn't steer out to get to the deeper, wider section, so he went to try to, there were two sections for going both ways, but one was easier to navigate with his big ship, but he went to the other side because he thought there was one coming this way, and he couldn't see anything because there was blinding rain and ridiculous fog, and it was a horrible, unannounced storm. Didn't seem to catch the radar. And these happen in Florida, by the way. They're not a big shock. They happen all the time. But in 1980, they didn't have sophisticated enough stuff to make that turn, I guess, because he didn't. Huge winds. People are just trying to stay on the bridge. And they're on their way up. And boom, he hits the pillar. And it shakes. And the tumbles. 1,200 feet of road. The, the pinnacle is about 180 feet. The new one's about 200 it all plummeted in the water. So he's screaming into the, when he realizes that parts of it are, are falling off his deck and one pickup truck bounces off his deck. That's the second luckiest guy alive because he lived. His pickup bounced off the deck, splashed in the water, and it gave him enough time to swim out and get on that boat and they pulled him up. He's the only guy that hit the water that didn't die. Second luckiest. I say second because that hurt. This guy just crawled out of the car. Now, what is crazy? Let me give you, can you hit the next slide? Just look at the next one. Okay, so there's the same picture, and that's where it is. Draw the little red line and see how deep that is down to that boat. Just to give you perspective. The bridge is out. But all these people at rush hour coming up the bridge don't know. Most of the initial people that died did, weren't on the strip of land when it went down. They drove off the edge. That's why the one guy hit the front of the boat. They drove off one after another like lemmings because they didn't know the bridge was out. The storm was ridiculous. They couldn't see like the pilot couldn't see. You, you ever been that kind of blinding Lateral rain, it's bapping off your shield. All you can do is just barely see the brake lights of the car in front of you, so you're just following them. You know? That's what they did. Seven cars and a Greyhound bus. There's a memorial with the 35 people's names. Some were 19, some were 20, some were 50, some were 60, all different ages. They didn't know the bridge was out. Now, had, had... This happened sooner if someone had recognized it and got out in the blinding, winding rain and, and you know, trying to stand up because the wind's crazy up that high. It'll knock your car all over the place. I don't know how he got out without getting blown off, but got out and said, stop, stop, stop. The bridge is out. The bridge is out. Could have saved all these other lives. But everybody's scared to even move or get out or just, and they don't want to look like an idiot. You know, I mean, everybody's kind of coming up, but they're stopping. Something seems to be weird, but we're just going to keep driving, I guess. It is our job to inform people that the bridge is out. Everyone ascending to this time, everyone ascending, moving, there's some storms, there's, there's life. 
a lot of distractions, looking at the water, wind blowing, but we have got to let people know that the bridge is out. You get to a certain place, if you don't know the bridge is out, the guy, the guy at the boat, he, mayday, mayday, I hit the bridge, I hit the bridge. It's like, there's like a thousand feet of road, half of it's on my boat. It's crashing, calling for rescue, calling for rescue. They're bringing in helicopters, they're bringing in, uh, you know, all this different Coast Guard in the area. They can't get in the water because there's sharks. There was so much blood in the water that the sharks are just, they're just everywhere. They couldn't get the people out. There was nothing they could do. It's 35 people. And Richard Hornbuckle standing 14 inches from the, from the edge. On a piece that's, do you see how it's tilted down? The piece he's on broke and just somehow held. There's a new one. I'll click the slide. Notice what they put in the water. They call them dolphins. Those big circles are bumpers. They made the pillars different so they can sustain a much greater shock. But they also set up the pillars with a lot more ground around them, and they put these dolphins in the water, these big disks. What they're designed to do is to be bumpers, to bump the boats off if they're off course so it doesn't happen again. They put all these things in place to try to fix it. Those dolphins another part of what we do. We must prevent that collision course of just crashing everything down by being there for somebody else who's in chaos and in a storm. We got to be there. We got to be those people. We got to be those people who step in there and stand there like a pillar and be like, okay, I'm here for you. I know that things are messed up right now. I'm here for you. We got to show the love of Christ where you're, where you're loving someone that you don't feel like loving. We are there for someone that maybe you don't feel like being there for. But we also got to be honest, people. The bridge is out. And people are plummeting to their death in shark-infested waters. They don't understand that at the bottom of that is Hades. And be down there with the rich man forever. And I'm sorry to bring such a heavy thing, but the Holy Spirit was just, just placing it on my heart. Do not let this slide today. There are people that need to hear this. My people need to hear it to be reminded that this is a part of who we are. We know the grace that we've been given. We know. We knew the bridge was out. We were Richard Hornbuckle. We were, Ugh! oh, because there's no get. If you go, if you go, can you go backwards? Does that screw things up? If you can go back one uh, slide, there's no getting across that. That's the gap. You can't cross it. There's no getting from one side to the other. You're not getting to the other side of the bridge. Not on your own. There's no catapult going to get you across. There's nothing you can do. You can't get enough on Dukes of Hazard speed to try to jump that thing. It's not going to happen. You need Jesus who is the bridge. He gaps what we can't do to get to God. He gapped it when he died on the cross. Your religion, your education, your intelligence, your talents, your giftedness, the things that you think that you're good at, the things you think you're horrible at, the, thing, the reasons you think you can't go and be with God forever. None of it even matters. None, it's, all, it's all water under the bridge. 
It's Jesus' death on the cross for you that buys your ticket into heaven forever. And it's Jesus' death on the cross that if you accept that into your heart, that he did that for you, that buys you eternal life that starts right now. He calls, in Revelations, he calls it the second death. The second death. As if it wasn't bad enough to have it happen once. Please understand that, like those wedding things, you don't understand God's grace unless you understand what you almost drove into. Mercy, you know, grace is getting things you didn't deserve, but mercy is not getting what you did. And we, the scripture says, deserve hell because we chose to not walk with God for a portion of our life and then for a lot of our life with him still keep sinning. But this loving, awesome, beautiful God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh to be the sacrifice for our sins and all the wrath of God that was supposed to land on sin, on us, on sinners, landed on him. He took it himself for you and for me. Amen? Amen. With that in mind, I just want to do a couple of things. One, this is vital. It's vital. I'm, I'm finishing a little early. I'm doing it on purpose. I'm not going to continue just talking the message right now. It is vital if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and you're like, I don't quite get what he's talking about, but something is pulling at me. I want to know. I'm going to ask you in a minute to just come up and pray with someone. 